Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we pray that that would be our prayer, that we would surrender everything. That God, in the midst of what you're doing and how you're working on our lives, that surrender would be the only uh, position that we would be in. That we would surrender ourselves to your authority, that we would surrender ourselves to your uh, leadership, that we would surrender ourselves to your plan and your purpose. And that, Lord, most of all, we would surrender ourselves to your ways, that your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, Lord, we pray today that you speak to us through your word, that your spirit would convict us, that it would guide us as we dig in, that you would grow us, that we would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We are glad to be back. Matter of fact, Sarah and I, I was looking at my watch this week uh, as, as we were entering into worship. Sarah and I were flying back from, from Florida last week. We celebrated, which I'd say that, uh, in August was our 20th anniversary, uh, but we didn't do anything thanks to COVID. Um, so we went to Miami uh, and then to Key West. We'd never been to Key West. As a matter of fact, uh, last week, we, we, we got to take a uh, convertible. My wife was smart. She's like, if we're going to be driving this much, we might as well get a convertible. Um, so we got a convertible, drove from Miami out to Key West, had a great time, uh, just a great opportunity to get away. And I appreciate Steve and uh, Chris and their leadership and what they did uh, for us while we were gone. So Mark chapter 4 uh, today's sermon title is The Sower and the Seed. And as we jump in today, I want to keep you or remind you, keep in mind that the, 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 about the radical kingdom that Jesus came to bring about. That's what Mark is, is bringing in. He's ushering in this kingdom. And I, I said this in the first week. I want to encourage you with it or remind you again this week uh, about this. It's a kingdom that is already, but not yet. In other words, Jesus comes to establish God's kingdom, but is not completely fulfilled. It'll be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes back. Now, we don't know the time, the date, the hour, or anything like that, but what we do know is that every circumstance, every situation, every, uh, everything that's going on in this world is, in a way, ushering in God's kingdom uh, here on earth. At some point, Jesus will come back. He'll say, enough is enough. The Lord or the, uh, the Father is going to say to the Son, hey, it's time. Jesus is going to come back, and uh, we need to be ready. And so I want you to think about this. This idea of a kingdom that is already, but not yet. So we've seen Jesus bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. We've seen the lame walk, the sick are made well, the blind see, the tax collectors and the sitters are declared righteous. The promise stretches way back. Listen, it stretches way back to the Garden of Eden, okay? And it's being fulfilled. Jesus is undoing the effects of sin and making all things new. Right, And so we're jumping into Mark chapter 4, and for everybody who's been following along, you're going to be like, well, wait a second, what about Mark chapter 3? I'm going to highlight Mark chapter 3 in a very simple, short paragraph in an idea to help you understand what's going on. In Mark chapter 3, what we see is uh, the beauty of this idea of Jesus and his family, all right? In Jesus and his family, in Mark chapter 3, we see how he chooses the disciples to be in his family, right? He goes and he sets these disciples apart or aside, and he says, hey, you're going to be a part of my family, and there's some great things that take place there as a result of the disciples. The church grows and blossoms. We see, you know, one who walks away in Judas, who betrays the Lord, all right? But we also see this, that Jesus' family, Jesus' own family rejects him. 
If you look in chapter three, verse 21, it says this, when his family heard about everything that had been going on, basically, they went to take charge of him, for they said, listen, holy cow, he's lost his mind, right? I mean, like, Jesus' own family looked at him and was like, oh my gosh, he's lost his mind. Uh, it's, it's, it's out of there. He's out of his mind. And so, it, and, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub. So here's what's happening. Jesus invites his disciples into his family. Jesus' own family doesn't necessarily understand everything's going on. They, they've rejected him. As a matter of fact, in John chapter seven, verse five, it says, for even his own brothers did not believe him until later. Matter of fact, we know that James uh, was the half-brother of Jesus, and he really didn't see the big picture. I mean, a kind of a maybe sibling rivalry or whatever. James looked at Jesus like, I don't know who you think you are, bro, but he, you don't walk on water. Oh, wait, oh, no, you did. You don't heal people. Oh, wait, no, you did heal people, right? Jesus' own brother's got these, his own issues. And then, listen, in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 4, it says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. And so we see this played out in, 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 in Mark chapter three with his mother and brothers. And then here's the beauty of this. At the very end of Mark chapter three, it says this, here are my mother and brothers. Here's Jesus' answer. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And so to wrap up Mark chapter three in a very simple understanding and setting is this. As Jesus calls to you, you become part of his family, part of the kingdom of God. And listen what he says. The one who does the will of the Father is my brother or sister or mother and things like that. So here's where we get this idea of God's family, being a part of God's family, that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are all interconnected and related in in and through Christ and Christ alone. We may not be family by blood, but we are family by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so there's the beauty of Mark chapter three played out. And now, listen, we jump into Mark chapter four. And in Mark chapter four, what I want you to see is this. Have you ever looked at something and not really seen what's really there? Like not really got the big picture. Have you ever looked at something and not seen what's really there? As a teenager, I remember growing up in Wyoming and Cheyenne, there was a place in the mall that had these pictures. And you'd walk in and you'd stare at these pictures that just looked like, I don't know, something like this. Pop those bad boys up there. There's a picture. It's in there. There we go. Anybody ever seen those? You got one, right? Right? There's a book out there on this. Matter of fact, it was one of those things. We would go as teenagers, we'd go into this store in the mall and you would stand there and you'd stare at it. Now, if you're good at this, I never was. I always had friends be like, yeah, yeah, you see it? It's an eagle. And I'm like, whatever, bro. I don't see anything. Anybody see something in that picture? Huh? Give you time, all right? You have to stare at it a while. That's what I've always been told. I've never seen <laughs> That's not true. I've seen a couple of them, but not very many. Supposedly, there's an airplane in that picture. It's called a stereogram, right? This picture develops or this idea that when I'm looking at it, I look and I might see nothing, but in reality, there is a picture hidden within there that some people can see, and for some reason, some of us just 
can't. Anybody say, that was me. I'm, not, I'm the guy who can't see it. I never saw one. I don't get it. Okay, I'm, I don't feel so bad now because I was always the guy who my friends would be like, you see it? Nope. Oh, yeah, I see it. It's an eagle. Look, it's flying out over the mountains. I'm like, and the other one, oh, yeah, yeah, check out the eagle. Oh, there's the tip of the wings. Am I blind? I don't, I don't, you know, but this is the way we're going to see Mark chapter 4 played out. So if you have your Bibles, follow along, Mark chapter 4. We're going to read the first eight verses, actually the first, uh, yeah, the first eight verses, and we'll jump in from there. It says this, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd had gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow the seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil, but it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants out so that they did not bear any grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, he who has an ear let him hear. Here's what I want to jump in. I want you to understand what's going on. We can go back and think about this idea of this picture, but there are a lot of times we look at things and we think we see something when in reality we might not. And what we see in this text of scripture is that there are people who thought they saw something or maybe they responded in a certain way, but in reality didn't get the real thing. They didn't settle or, or accept the real thing. And so seeing or, or, or not seeing what there is, is just in the art world is the same as in the spiritual world. Not seeing the truth of what is behind something is something that is very realistic in the spiritual world. And Jesus is trying to communicate that. And so Jesus begins Mark 4 as a parable. Now, if anybody knows this, a parable in the Bible is a type of story or a type of saying or story that contains a comparison or a parallel. In other words, and the, the word parable actually means a comparing together, right? So a parable is simply a way that Jesus uses of teaching a spiritual truth using a common story or illustration, right? I, I like to do that. I like to try and make scripture come alive by using a common story or illustration that we can see uh, in today's world that we might understand. And so Jesus begins this idea by, or, or this truth, this teaching, by teaching them a parable. So if you remember anything, I want you to remember this today, that Satan and the worries of life will lead, listen, will lead to no fruit, while good soil produces fruit that will yield a harvest. And what I want you to understand here is the importance of the soil and the importance of the seed. Right? There are two things that are played out here. Well, there's actually three. You have the sower of the seed or the farmer. You have the soil, and then you have the seed in and of itself. So there are three things that we're going to see in Scripture, three of these things that we're going to look at, and what we're going to end up seeing is they, they all tie together. So Satan and the worries of life will lead to no fruit. Right? You're not going to produce, while good soil produces fruit that will yield a harvest. Okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to look at the four places the seed fell first. So you're going to see this pop up. There are four places the seed fell. Number one was along the what? 
the path, right? Right? He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, this idea plays this, that the fields in Jesus' day, and I would say and venture to say in times like this, there are paths that we walk that we don't plant on. Like if you were, like when I go out to Wyoming and we're driving through Nebraska or parts of Iowa or Kansas and things like that, there are clear lines of where they've planted crops, right? Like rows and rows of corn. And then there's times where as I'm driving along, there'll be a path. Sometimes there's an irrigation ditch with a path on either side. And all of a sudden there'll be like this one lone stalk of corn growing up near the path. You're like, what the heck happened there? Well, the seed fell along the path. And a lot of times, here's what we have to begin to understand. The path is usually packed down. It hasn't been tilled. It wasn't cultivated. The farmer is not fertilizing or putting the nutrients in. Matter of fact, if you go out west, you go out and you see all the irrigation, or not just the canals, the the sprinkler systems and stuff. They, They make sure that the path isn't what's getting watered. What's getting watered? The crop. And so the path becomes hard beaten. It's not tilled. It's not cultivated. It's not cared for. There's, there's a great truth that we have to begin to understand. So they would beat this field down through walking. And so it says that some of the seed was scattered or fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. When it falls along the path, it's not covered back up with soil. It just happened to fall along. And sometimes maybe they stick and they grow. But the truth of the matter is, is the idea that the birds come and they eat up the seed. Why? Because the seed wasn't buried under the dirt, under the soil, where it needs to to grow, right? It's not. It usually falls along this path, and so there's a problem, right? Number one was the the path. Number two is a rocky place. Now, rocky places is the idea of this. A lot of us go, oh, yeah, rocky soil, no big deal, right? No, it's not rocky soil. It's this idea of, like, rock, underneath the dirt, so where there's just a thin layer of dirt. And so this rocky shelf with just a little bit of dirt over it, the roots, when they grow, they only grow to a certain depth. And when they grow to a certain depth, they hit the rock, they can't go any deeper into the dirt, they can't grow into the rock. And so when the sun comes out, the sun scorches the plant and it dies. Now I've got a great parable of il- or illustration to use this. When my wife and I moved into our house in 2005 down in Springfield, it was a new neighborhood. We bought this house. We moved in, and we're right on top of the hill. Well, we moved into this brand new house, and we hydro-seeded our yard, right? It's red clay. It's kind of hard. It's Springfield. It's, just, it's a really hard, rocky soil. Well, slowly the grass kind of started to grow, but we noticed this area in our backyard, this big patch that would just always burn. And no matter how much I watered, it would just burn, 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 and then it would die off. So one day, my dad and I were coming in. He, he's coming into town. I'm like, oh, I want to check out what the, what's going on below this, this grass. And so I get a shovel out. Thunk. I mean, not, not three quarters of an inch underneath the grass. I'm like, oh, man. I, so I start digging. And as I dig, I keep digging. And I keep digging. And I'm, and I'm feeling like an archaeologist now. Like I'm getting a paintbrush out. and I'm like, Next thing I know, I got like this four-foot-long section of curb, like concrete curb, four foot long. And I'm talking gutter, curb, the whole thing, four foot section long buried in, in, in the ground. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll dig this up and we'll just throw it in the back of my truck. Yeah, that don't happen. Yeah, we had to rent a jackhammer 
break it up into pieces to make it manageable to get it out of the, the yard. And lo and behold, once I dug it out and put dirt in, all of a sudden, guess what's growing? Grass. And so for me, this parable becomes to life because I could sit out in my backyard before and I'd look and go, what the heck is wrong with that grass? Why don't you want to grow there? And the whole time was the grass couldn't develop any roots. They say that typical grass grows down about four inches into the soil. That thing was like three quarters of an inch under the top of my dirt. So the grass would just scorching July heat in Springfield, Missouri would turn brown and shrivel up and die. And so that's what happens. It's this idea of a rocky place, this rocky shelf with just a little bit of dirt over it and the rocks stop the root and so it can't grow. It can't grow deeper. It's gonna get scorched by the heat. And listen, when we dig up those rocks, when we get rid of those things and we have good soil, there's great potential for the seed. But when you don't have it, it's a rockly area, it's not gonna grow. Number three is thorns, right? Another thing, when I'm driving along the road, I'll notice this. You, you might have wheat or something out there and all of a sudden you'll see this big green weed, right? This big green weed growing out in the middle of a wheat field. And you're like, why, why doesn't the farmer ever right? It's not overrun. The farmer just doesn't, he leaves it and he'll, he'll deal with it later. But listen, what he says here, when the sun came up, the plants withered and scorched. And then verse seven says this, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Now, I don't know what kind of yard person you are. I'm very particular. I hate weeds in my yard, right? Other people, I've got neighbors, they let crabgrass grow. And here's how kind of I look at it. If you get crabgrass to start to grow, it covers over the grass that you already have. Anybody ever notice what happens to the grass that you already have? It dies. It chokes it out. So when you go out and try and pull up some of the crabgrass, because it's technically a weed, not a grass, you pull the crabgrass out, all of a sudden you got this big circular area of nothing but dirt. Why? Because the weed choked out the grass. It choked out the the, the fruit that's supposed to be produced in your yard. And so among thorns is the same way. It looked like good soil, but it has a lot of weeds and the weeds will eventually take over and choke out the seed. And the number four we see is the good soil, right? And what happens with good soil? It produces a crop. The soil is very important in the production of the crop. The soil is huge. The seed is important as well, and we have to be casting the seed, but the soil is very important. Fertile soil leads to lots of growth, lots of fruit, lots of production. Bad soil leads to what? No fruit, no production. And so what we begin to see is this, that these types of soil are very important, and we play this out. Now, let's have an explanation of this parable. Let's dig in and understand what goes on. In verse 9, it says, Jesus says this, he who has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parable, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may, they may, sorry, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, it's important for us to understand this. Jesus knows wholeheartedly, full on, that there are going to be people who deep down want to reject the idea of God, the idea of Jesus, the idea that God made a way for man. People continue to walk through life and saying, Jesus has no say. 
you're not gonna tell me what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna believe in you. I'm not gonna believe in God. And Jesus knows, listen, in the midst of that, I'm gonna teach through parables. And as I teach through parables, people are gonna be ever seeing, but not see. They're gonna be ever hearing, but not hear. They're not gonna understand it. And Jesus says, listen, it's not on me for that. It's on somebody else. And so here's what I wanna begin as we wrap up the end of this. Follow along with me in verse 13. Then Jesus said, don't you understand this parable? <laughs> Which all the disciples go, uh-uh. That's why we asked you to tell us this, right? <laughs> you don't get it. Jesus is like, how do you not understand this? And he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once they receive it with great joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. And listen, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word. And not only do they hear it, they accept it. And as they have accepted it, they produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So here's how I want to kind of wrap up and, and camp out just in this last little section of scriptures to understand this. There are hindrances to the gospel and there are good things. What is the main hindrance to the gospel? Number one is the thief, Satan. Remember going back to that stereogram picture? As we go back to the stereogram picture, I want you to think about this, Right? We talked about how you can look at a picture and you think you see something, but in reality, there is something else to be seen. That is exactly the way Satan is working. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We can look at this, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this as a parable if you want to say it. We can look at this and go, yeah, I see a bunch of green and blue and black dots. And that's exactly what Satan wants people to see. The chaos of a picture that makes no sense to him. When you look through the lens of the gospel, though, all of a sudden things begin to make sense. And so listen, very clearly, there is a hindrance to the gospel moving forward. And that hindrance is this, Satan. Satan has caused the minds of unbelievers not to see. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says he's an enemy prowling around looking for those he can devour. And so it's important for us to understand this, that we have to know that Satan is real, number one. He is a hindrance to the gospel, and he is working overtime to continue to mislead people. See, whenever you and I are witnessing or we're sharing the gospel, we're praying for other people, we have to begin to understand that we pray for the people to hear and to see the good news of the gospel. That's exactly what has to take place. You know, when we talk about today, like kind of this idea of control, 
And when I feel like I don't have control of what's going on around me, stress and anxiety and worry and everything comes up. And over the last year, we've seen that the reality is we don't have a lot of control of what goes on around us, but we do have control with how we act or how we respond or what we say and who we say it to and what we proclaim and who we proclaim it about. And so here's the beauty of this, that even though Satan is working in that way, that he's going to come up and steal the seed, we can't and don't know the soil in the life of the person we're talking to. So we always approach it through the power of prayer. Why? Because God has all the authority and all the power. Remember what he came to establish. Jesus said, I've come to establish the kingdom and to call people to repent and believe the good news. To repent means to change to turn from, to go the opposite direction, and to believe the good news, right? Jesus calls us to repent from what we've thought, what we've been taught, what the world says is correct. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things going on in our society and culture right now where the world says, that's okay, that's the way it is, when the reality is we build our life upon God's word, not your opinion. We build our life upon God's word, not what the news says or what another person says or even what some try and argue out of science or psychology. But I listen to God's word. Why? Because a farmer sows the word. Now listen, it's important for us to understand this and I think I want, you to, I want us all to understand this. A lot of times we look and we go, oh, see, the farmer's Jesus. No, no. A farmer is anybody who sows the word. You and I are farmers. Jesus said, I've come to call you to be fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. But he's also said, I will make you a farmer. I'm gonna cast, have you casting out seed. There's a point in 2 Corinthians where it says, what's it matter? One plants the seed, one waters it, and who makes it grow? God. There are truths here that we begin to understand that we have to know that these hindrances to the gospel are there, but there are opportunities for us. So the first hindrance of the gospel was the thief or Satan. The second hindrance is this false profession. And let me be very clear with this, all right? There are some who have falsely professed that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus, but after a little bit, walk away. And the Bible says very clear, once you've tasted once you've tasted the good news, once you understand Jesus, once you know what's going on, once he has revealed himself to you and it is a true following, there is no turning back. And so this idea of this false profession, they had this false profession that only lasts a short time. That's usually people who say, man, maybe it's gonna help my business. Maybe if I do this, it'll save my marriage. And all of those things are good and honorable and noble, but yet at the same time, they miss the big picture of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Remember, Jesus didn't come to make good things better. He came to make dead things alive. And most people want to go, well, I'm good. He just wants to make me better. No, you're either dead or you're alive. A person who does not know Jesus is dead. A person who knows Jesus is alive. Every decision I make when I'm dead is going to be based upon my fleshly desires. But the decisions I make should be based upon, when I'm alive, should be based upon what God says. 
right? That I allow scripture to dictate what's going on. See, when trouble or persecution or hardship comes to those who have false professions, those who have settled for the get get rich quick mentality in Christianity, when those things really happen, those people flee. When true persecution comes or rises to the occasion, these people will run. And I believe, based upon Scripture, not only will they run, they're going to turn their back on other believers, the true believers. So we don't just present the gospel as a get-out-of-hell-free card. We have to understand that when I give my life to Jesus, that when I know what's going on, that we have to understand the, the reality and the truth of repentance from sin and the cost of discipleship. Jesus said, take up your cross and what? Follow me. And that means there's a cost to discipleship. That means it's going to cost you in ways, shapes, or forms you may have never realized before. So there's a cost to discipleship. Number three, the the third thing that we see as a hindrance to the gospel is a worldly focus. Now, I think this is where we've seen a lot of activity and a lot of action for years is the worldly focus idea, the worries, the stress, the anxiety, the ideologies, the wealth of the world choke out the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, we look at things like this. Well, go to church as long as it's good for you, as long as it's beneficial. Follow Jesus as long as he provides for you in the things of the world. Notoriety, fame, money, all of those things. Whereas if you go back in scripture, if you go back in history, the truth of the matter is, if you read the book of James, you read what happens with the the disciples all throughout from Acts on, that when they put their faith and trust in Jesus and they said, I'm going to follow you no matter the cost, it cost them dearly. It cost them greatly. It cost them their lives. If you know anything about the book of James, the reason James wrote that book is because he was writing it to the scattered church. The church that had been scattered as a result of persecution. They were fleeing the harsh realities of what the Roman world was doing. And James writes his letter and says, hey, don't lose faith. Here's what it means to live an extreme faith, a faith that's built based on Jesus and Jesus alone. See, I believe wholeheartedly this worldly focus is running headlong in a lot of our ideologies and a lot of the way we approach things today. And the worldly focus is going to choke it out. Listen again what it says. Like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life. How am I going to take care of my kids' college? What am I going to do with this? We got to make sure that they're in every sport under sun because they might get a college scholarship. We got to do all of these things and that way we don't have to pay for it. We got to make sure that the government has overreach and everything. Why? Because if the government doesn't have or has the overreach and they're going to be able to control everything, we don't have to worry about everything. That's a false Narrative. It's a false ideology. And we have to present the truth that Jesus is Lord. And let me ask this question. If Jesus isn't Lord in your life, is he Lord over everything? Because when we talk about Jesus being Lord, Jesus is Lord over my marriage. Jesus is Lord over my finances. Jesus is Lord over every decision I make. Jesus is over my, uh, my, my choices and who I date, who I don't date, who I marry, who I don't marry. Jesus is Lord over my choices and, and desires of where I'm going to work, how I'm going to work, who I'm going to work for. Do I work with ethnic or, or with, uh, not ethnic, sorry, uh, ethical guidelines? Or do I work and, and listen to a boss who says, oh, it's okay to, to violate those things? How I work, who I work for, things like that all 
play out. If Jesus is Lord of my life, then that changes everything. And listen, here's the good news. There is good soil out there. As a matter of fact, I believe that there is lots of good soil in need of seed. The simple fact is, oftentimes, we don't act like farmers. We're not willing to throw out seed. And here's where I'm going to jump back into this worldly idea, worldly focus that chokes it out. I believe the reason that a lot of times we aren't very fruitful is because when it comes to casting seed, we hold the seed in our pocket and we hope somebody comes up and asks for seed. And when they ask for seed, I'll give it to them. But if they don't ask for seed, I'm going to hold it right here. And as I hold it right here, nobody asks. Seed ain't getting planted. And the last I checked, the farmer who's working a field, if he goes, well, if the ground asks me for seed, I guess I'll toss it out. Last I checked, I didn't see much ground going, hey, you're going to give us seed or what? The simple fact is that the farmer has to cast the seed. And listen, here, here's what I would say with this. Over the last year, our world has been, in the words of Fresh Prince, flipped, turned upside down, right? Okay? Our world has been turned upside down, and people are looking for hope. They're looking for direction. They're looking for answers, and they're looking for life. And listen, you and I cannot change the financial circumstances or situations people are in. We can't change their addictive behaviors. We can't change their outlook on the world. We can't change their hope for the future. But all of those things can be changed by Jesus. Jesus can change their outlook and their financial situation by how they begin to approach things. Jesus can change their hope for a future. Jesus can change their outlook on the world. And he's the only one. Why? Because remember, one person plants, another person waters, but who makes it grow? God. So the truth of the matter is, is this. That when we talk about the parable of the sower and the seed, when we are the sower or the farmer, all our responsibility is to do is what? Cast the seed. Work the soil. And listen to me, there is a lot of soil out there that is rock hard. It's good soil. It's just rock hard. It's never been worked. It's never had a chance to be cultivated and tilled because a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm just not going to work. It's going to cost too much. It's going to take too much effort. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of energy. You're, you're asking me to give up a lot. Listen, if a farmer never tills the land, never tills the soil, the seed in reality is just falling along the what? The path. But when the farmer tills the soil, when he works the soil, when he has the nutrients that it needs and he, he begins to continue to cast that seed and he's working the soil over and over and over again. And listen, somebody else comes along and they're like, hey, I'm gonna pour a little bit of water on here. Why? Because they speak the truth of the gospel to this person and all of a sudden, guess what? All of a sudden, something grows up. And if you've ever planted new seed, and go back to that four-foot concrete curb, after we dug that all up and we put that dirt in, that good, nice black topsoil from the bottom of the river in Springfield, Missouri, right outside there, watching that seed grow up. And you know what I'm talking about. When that grass starts to grow and you're like, oh, look at that. And then all of a sudden, it's mature, it's strong. Somebody can go run over it, and it's no big deal. It's useful, it's enjoyable. I can walk on it with bare feet and not hurt. 
there's the fruit, there's the produce, there's the productivity of the soil and the seed working together. And listen, I believe wholeheartedly where we're at as a church is this. And, and I'm gonna speak as a whole. When I say church, I'm not laying blame on anybody. All of us individually have to take responsibility for those around us who have hard soil in their life and we have to begin to work it. We have a community that has surrounded us, that, that surrounds us, that is full of or packed down with hard soil that has not been worked, has not been tilled, that has not been cared for, has not been nurtured, has not been given the proper nutrients, nor the proper seed to be cast out there. And so what I want to encourage us is this. It relies upon all of us. If we want to see God's kingdom grow, if we want to see our witness and our influence in the community grow, that takes all of us working together. That takes all of us tilling up the soil. That takes all of us casting out seed. That takes all of us coming in and watering. And it takes all of us praying to God and asking God to do the supernatural growth of the work in and around independence and around the world. And listen, here's the good news about this. You and I are all on equal standing. You and I all bring the same weaknesses. You and I all bring the same struggles. You and I bring the same difficulties and sin that those people go through that are outside, that have never acknowledged the gospel. And listen, that does not take away our responsibility. As a matter of fact, I hope and encourage you, and I want to encourage you, that we go out together, that we go out and we plant the seed, that as we plant the seed, God is the one who makes it grow. Listen, we want to see, and I believe this should be the prayer of every believer in this church, around the city of Independence, around the state of Missouri, around the United States, and around the world. We want to see God's word take root, listen, in people's hearts and to grow strong, deep roots so that they can grow and as they grow, they can develop. And as they grow and develop, they bear fruit as well. And listen, here's the good news of that. That a fruit that multiplies 30, 60, and 100 times. That's up to God. Am I a 30, a 60, or a 100-time person? That's up to the Lord. But let me tell you what you can't do. You'll never reap a harvest of 30, 60, or 100 if you're not casting seed. And so I just want to encourage us with that. I, I know, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is a very simple way. Now, this does not share the gospel. Please hear me out on this, right? This does not share the gospel. You can go out and give the greatest tip in the world and leave a card and go, we'd love to have you at church, but this is not sharing the gospel. This is inviting somebody to church, Right? There are ways that you can share the gospel day in and day out, but there are also ways you can simply say, hey, I'm praying for you. I love you, and I want to invite you to church. And they may say, look, that church isn't for me. Great. You know what? We got lots of churches around the area that I would be more than glad to point people to. We've got Life Connection Church right over here on 39th. We got Grace Church, which by the way, today is Grace Church. I don't know if some of you may or may not know Grace Church, Joey Candelo, the Grace Church we partner with, has now merged with Calvary. They've taken over Calvary Baptist up in North Independence. This is, today is their first Sunday uh, services there. Great, awesome. 
news. Calvary was struggling and going down. Joey and Grace came in and said, we don't have a building. Well, we do have a building, but we're paying a lot in rent. Why don't we merge? And they're merging, and I'm glad. We've got great churches here in Independence, and we're more than willing. Listen to me. I I would love everybody to come here, but I also know not everybody's going to come here, and I'm okay with that, and I hope you're okay with that. We don't have to be jealous. We're not in competition. We work together, and we work together for God's kingdom. That's good, right? But there are simple ways you can share the gospel. There are simple ways you can invite somebody to church. On your way out, you can grab these. We've got more. We've got plenty of them back there on that table. Invite people. I guarantee you that there are people in desperate need of the good news of the gospel. After the last year that has gone, that we have gone through, and I believe, listen to me, I believe we're only, only beginning what in reality is going to happen. Please hear me out on that. I, I believe we are only in the beginning of how God wants to work in great ways. Where Satan stepped in and said, you know what, church, you're going to suck. I'm going to show you have no control. The church has had to regroup, relook and reevaluate everything. But hear me out on this. I believe the church is more mobile than ever. And I'm not just talking video stuff. I'm talking about the church has to be more mobile, more ready to go underground, more ready to respond when things like this happen. And we've got to move in that direction as well. So grab these on the way out. Invite your friends. Share the gospel. Connect with the Bible study. Connect with the life group. All of those are parts where your soil is being nurtured and fed and grown so you can go out and cast seed. Let me pray. And as we pray, the offering plates are going to be at the back. As you're dismissed, we want to encourage you to give. As you give, we're asking you to do this, that you give cheerfully. That as you give, you're giving cheerfully out of the overflow of the heart. Because I believe when we talk about Jesus being Lord, that Jesus is Lord over my finances as well. So let's pray and you'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the truth of this word. That God, in reality, we can't even control the soil. We can work it. We can try and nurture it. We can build relationships. We can cast seed. But God, you are the one who makes things grow. And so God, I pray that you would call us as a church, that we would be burdened by those who might be lost, those who are in need of the good news of the gospel that are around us. And that burden would become so overwhelming that we cannot stay silent, that we can cast the seed, that we can pray with individuals who are hurting and in need, that we can meet the needs That, Lord, I know that we're a small church, that we don't have a lot of money, but at the same time, Lord, that we can meet the needs of those around us in a simple way. And, Lord, knowing this, that the greatest need that we could ever meet is to lead them to you, to point them to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.